was addicted to their technology. Addicted. And, and, and this person was speaking and they said, I said, by the way, I'm not just talking to young people. I'm talking to adults. And he said, if you don't think you're addicted, put, try to put it away for a week. moment uh, this, this past week where I said, you know, I, I need to put my phone down. It just so happened I got a ministry phone call. Somebody needed some help and whatnot. But there are times where the start, I need to just put it on do not disturb. Yeah. And think. As I reflect and consider where I am and who I am today, I am in many ways truly amazed and I am amazed concerning the workings of God in my life. Not amazed at me, not at all. There are some things I'm amazed but they're all in the negative. I'm amazed that God works in my life. The Bible says that uh, the Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. Psalm 126.3 I think of not only the workings of God, but I think about the minute details of God in my life. You know, a verse that we love, and we should, is Romans 8.28. Yep. It's a great verse. What's that verse say, Pastor? It says, all we, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But you know, the minute details of that are all things. Not just the things you like. You know, I think about a, a, a incident years ago. A pastor friend of mine was going to a funeral. And he was going to a funeral of a pastor friend. And he walked out to his vehicle, his son was with him, and he walked out to his vehicle, and Brother Merrill, he had forgotten his suit coat. Now, I know maybe modern preachers, that's kind of not a thing, but especially at a funeral, a preacher ought to wear a suit coat. Amen. Amen. And he, this, this man always, Brother Lawley, wore a suit coat. He was, he was just that kind of old school preacher. And he, he, was, he got in the, the vehicle and he was befuddled at himself. He said, I, I forgot my suit coat. I had to go back in and get it. And it took about 30 seconds. And as they were driving... They came down this road in this curve and they saw a vehicle smashed in by another vehicle that had quite obviously just happened. And that preacher, of course, prayed for the people that were there, but then he thought to myself, he thought to himself, he said, I forgot my suit coat. And in that 30 seconds that I went to get my suit coat, an accident happened right where I would have been. Yeah. All things. Yeah. He didn't appreciate the fact that he was so dumb that he forgot his suit coat. That's kind of how we are in those situations, isn't it? Like, oh, you get all mad, you get huffy, you get puffy, and then you realize God may have just protected you and saved you in all things. By the way, all things work together for good. I, and when I think of my own life and I think of, I think of uh, mistakes that I made and, and, and willful sin that I had, I still come back to that verse and I'm amazed at the minute details of God. 
I'm amazed at the workings of God. I'm amazed at the minute details of God. You know, I'm amazed at the master plan of God. God's not just figuring things out as he goes. And all God's people said. I mean, he has a master plan. The Bible says this. We know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 are great verses for salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, it says this. For by grace are you saved through faith. How does a person get saved? How does a person make sure heaven's their home? They simply, through faith, trust in the grace of God for what he, Jesus has done for us on the cross, raising from the dead on the third day. We trust the fact that we're sinners and he's the sinless one. Amen. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one's going to say when they get to heaven, hey, I got here because I was so good. We're all going to say I got here because of him. But then we always forget verse 10. I shouldn't say always, but we, we neglect. We quote those two, eight and nine, they're great verses. But verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. You know what that means, God? If you've ever done any painting, I am, I am not an artist. Oh my goodness, I am a stick figure guy. You know, with giant hands and little tiny things. I, I, don't ask me to draw anything. If we, we have to play like a game where you have to draw stuff, it's ridiculous. But I know, I know people who are artists. And again, they don't just make it up as they go. They look at that canvas for the start and they, they see it before it ever is. And then they start and start with the big strokes and move and then as they go to get... Listen, God has a master plan in your life and mine. And you know what, you know what the, the end result of that plan is? It's Romans 8, 29. We know 28, but 29. See, some people are afraid of that verse. It says that he hath predestinated us. And there are people that say, well, see, God predestined some for hell and some for heaven. No, he doesn't either. Just keep reading the verse. It says, He hath predestinated us to be conformed into the image of His Son. Miss Caitlin's song. Do they see Jesus? That's what God is trying to do in His master plan. So I think of the workings of God in my life. I think of the minute details of God in my life. I think of the master plan of God in my life. And by the way, every time in the Bible I think of a master plan, of course I think of the Lord Jesus Christ but in the Old Testament, I think of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Some of you may not know that story if you're new uh, to church, but Joseph was, uh, was a, a good young man. He had 11 brothers, and they hated him. Well, 10 of them did. Benjamin didn't know him. But they hated him. And, and you remember that, that story, and I'll say it quickly, obviously, but Joseph is, is taken captive by his brothers and thrown in a pit, and they decide whether they're going to, to, to kill him. And then a, a, so a caravan comes by, and they sell him into slavery. And they tell their father that he's been torn apart by some uh, vicious beast. And, and Joseph goes, and he, he, he sold into a house, and he serves his master, and he serves him well, and he serves him honorably. And then his master's wife, wife casts, casts her eye upon him and tries to tempt him with sexual sin and he refuses and he runs and they bring him back and he's convicted and put into prison and he's in prison and he helps people in prison and they forget about him. 
And then Pharaoh has a dream. And you remember one of the people that was let out of prison was the butler for Pharaoh. And he kind of does the face palm. He says, oh, there was, a, there was a man in prison, a Hebrew, and he interpreted a dream we had. And he lets him out and he goes in front of Pharaoh and he interprets Pharaoh's dream and he becomes second in command of Egypt and his brothers come to beg for food. Remember that? And he sees his brothers and he recognizes them but they don't recognize him. And you remember, finally, he brings his brothers in and reveals himself to them. He I'm Joseph who you sold into slavery. Is my father still alive? Please come. And of course, they're afraid. And you would have been too. <laughs> what happens? Joseph says this, As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. You know what that tells me? God has a master plan. Now, I want to say this, and this is important that you understand this. Some of you, you won't, this won't bother you at all. That's fine. I am not, nor will I ever be, a Calvinist. Never. I never will be. I, I, I detest the theology of Calvinism. Where the, theolo the theology of Calvinism is that God is a puppet master and men are his stringed marionettes. No. Not a, not, I don't believe that for one moment. And yet, there are parts of my life that I can see only God's hand in them. Okay? My, my birth. Your birth. You didn't choose your parents. Now, now I happen to be adopted, so my parents chose me. But uh, think about where you were born. We could have been born anywhere. Could have been born in China. Could have been born in communist North Korea. Huh? been born in any epoch, any era of time. Those kind of things we certainly praise God for and can see only God's hand in them. However, then there are those things that are within my control and your control. Namely, the decisions that we make. And I want to say this. Largely, the course of your life will be determined by the choices that you make. I remember years ago we had a, uh, a men's uh, preaching night in Brother Lawley. It was in 2020. I wrote it down. Something Brother Lawley said. He said, I know one thing that this coming year is going to bring. Choices. Choices. That's the opposite side of God's sovereignty and our free will. And, and theologians have been debating for years where these two agree. And I happen to think of it this way. God's sovereignty, God's plan in our lives and our free will are like two sides of the railroad track. They're always going in the same direction and they never touch each other. The truth is God did give you and I a free will. We make choices in all God's people said. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, we have God's hall of faith. Faith is the underlying subject of this chapter. And the reader is introduced to much about faith. He's introduced to the interpretation of faith in verse 1. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We call that the definition of faith. What is biblical faith? I'll tell you what it is. It's the simple confidence that God is and that He will faithfully do what He has promised. Amen? Chriswell said it this way. He said, Faith is the solid, unshakable confidence in God which is built on the assurance that He will be faithful to His promises. See, this book is to be read by faith. This book is to be read to know these are the promises of God. And we receive them by faith. So there's the interpretation of faith in verse 1. Hey, there's the importance of faith in verse 6. Look at it, please. What's it say there? It says, but without faith it is what? Impossible to please Him. People trying to please God by doing good works. People trying to please God by being baptized. People trying to please God by charity. It's impossible. It all starts with faith. And it tells us about it. It says right here, at the end of the verse, it said, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Someone well said, if you can accept Genesis 1-1, you can accept the rest. What's in the beginning, God. That's what it starts off with. And then, of course, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's the interpretation of faith. There's the importance of faith. And then there's the incredible results of exercising faith. And those are the characters that we look at. And we're looking at one of them today. In the middle of this magnificent chapter of the Word of God, we are introduced to this larger-than-life character named Moses. Even folks that haven't gone to church at all have heard of Moses. Heard of the Law of Moses. By the way, Moses is enshrined in our Supreme Court with his Ten Commandments that can't be posted in other places, apparently, but over the Supreme Court is okay. Uh, people know about Moses. And so we're introduced him here in a very brief account of some extremely important choices that he made, which determined the course of his life. Again, listen to me. Let me say that again. We're, we're, it's New Year's. I, I said on uh, uh, Wednesday night, I said, it is the season. And everybody kind of looked at me like, Pastor, Christmas is over. No, I said, it is the season for gym memberships. And advertisements on your social media for calisthenic plans. Amen. And it's amazing. 
Tis the season. What is it? It is the season for resolutions, isn't it? Can I, can I take it a step further? This is the season for decisions. Decisions. You know why you're in church today? You decided to be here. I know there's some folks sick. I know I know there was snow and some. I, I get all that. I understand all that. Amen. But many people don't come to church because they simply don't make the decision to come. You want to you see something? And this is this is out of Moses' control. Look at verse 23. We talk about the course of, of one's life. Look at this. By faith, Moses, so it starts with Moses here, but it says when he was born, was hid by, hid by three months of his parents. You know what that was? A decision. You know what the decree from the Pharaoh was? All male Jewish babies are to be thrown in the river. You read about that in Exodus chapter 1. And how those midwives, it says they feared God and they couldn't do it. You know, when you fear God, you can't hurt a baby. Let me say that again. It's pretty weak amen. When you fear God, you can't hurt a baby. They feared God. They feared God. But they still had to make a choice. Moses' parents then had to make a choice... To hide him for three months. Listen, I don't know much about babies. I've had three. I was there when they were all born. I changed about four diapers in my life of my own kids. Amen. I know, I know that when they're little, they pretty much yell as much as they want to. When they're hungry or dirty, they're not happy. They get a little colic. To hide a baby for three months is a hard thing. It's a decision. It's a decision. It's a choice. And I love what it says there in verse 23. It says, because they saw that he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but think about this. His parents' choices determine whether he would even be born. Let alone the course of his life. Some of you are blessed today because you were raised by godly parents. Blessed. Choices determine the course. I want you to notice some choices that Moses rooted in faith. It says by faith. By faith. That's what this chapter is all about. I'm going to give you five of them, and then I'm going to give you some applications that we can kind of take home and chew on this week. Number one, notice with me, he chose association with God and his people over the adoration and amusement of the world. Look at verse number 24 and 25. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years... Let me pause for a moment. So many times I've preached on this, I almost assume everybody knows the story of Moses. But Moses, of course, was hid by his parents for three months. And then uh, when they couldn't hide him anymore, uh, uh, Jacobet, his mother, made an ark of bulrushes. And she she basically made him a little boat. 
and put him in there, make sure it would float, amen, and put him in and floated him down the Nile River. And sure enough, talk about the master plan of God being involved in the choices and decisions that we make, amen. Uh, she said, I'm going to obey God, I'm going to do right, amen. And she pushed him down the river, and he went down the Nile River, and he came to this little spot where the Pharaoh's daughter was washing herself. You know what that basically would be? In our, in our, it would be the president's daughter just happened to be right there. And she opened the, the ark. And somebody said God pinched Moses and he cried. And that, listen, you ever hear a baby cry, that pity comes on you. Amen? Especially you mamas. Amen? And what happened? Looked in there and he cried and she said, I'm going to name him Moses because I drew him out of the water. And she took him and then Moses' sister came over said, hey, do you want me to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him? She said, go ahead and meet him and then bring him back to me. And so Moses went back to his mother, Jochebed. And she weaned him and then gave him back to the Pharaoh's daughter. And he was raised in Egypt, raised in the palace, raised with the riches of Egypt. And here he simply decided, I am not going to be, I am not going to be the, the king of the world. I'm going to associate with the people of God. Look, look at what it says again in verse number 24. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now listen, that didn't mean that Pharaoh's daughter was mean to him or anything like that. I'm sure she loved him. But he says, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So what did he choose here? He chose to associate with the people of God over the adoration and amusement of the world. Can I tell you, we are still called to make that choice, ladies and gentlemen. There is a world out there that is always calling you to it. And, and it says here, and I'm glad this is in the Word of God, it says then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Because we have got to get past this with our kids, with our children. Listen to me, young people, teenagers, listen to me. Sin is fun. It is. That's not a trick question. That's not a trick statement, ladies and gentlemen. Sin is fun. That's why people are out there doing it for a season. And then comes reaping time. And I've learned this about sowing and reaping. Sowing happens in an instant. Reaping takes a long time. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15 about sin and sinfulness and sinful pleasures? It says the way of transgressors is hard. You know why some people, the course of their life is hard? Because of the sinful choices that they make. Now thank God we, we have a God who forgives. Love the story of the prodigal. Runs home to father. But listen to me. His life was hard because he made it hard. Moses here cho chooses association with God and with the people of God over the adoration and amusements of the world. Can I, can I encourage you this year to make a decision to associate with the people of God and God? Here's how you associate with God every day. Right here. You know how you associate with the people of God? Show up for church. Uh, listen, you're the snowstorm crowd, amen? I get it. We have church tonight, and all God's people said. Amen. Now, it's not time to pray. It's not time to duck your head when I said we have church tonight. <laughs> oh. 
I get out of here, amen? I said, oh, look at that in elevator, praise God, amen? I said, <laughs> and we have church on Wednesday night, too. We have, we have opportunities for outreach where you can associate with the people of God that will help you and strengthen your faith. But some of you, your faith is weak because you're not taking advantage of that association. So Moses chose association with God and with his people over the adoration and amusements of the world. Number two. Boy, this one is really something when you think about it. Look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So what was the second choice he made? He, he chose the reproach of Christ over the riches of Egypt. Can I say this in America? It doesn't cost very much to be a Christian. True? You know, in some places it costs you your life. If you do what we do, and, and you know, we don't baptize as often as I would like, but when we do, a person makes a public profession of their faith. And they, basically what, a, what baptism is, it's of course identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But it's really saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I've many times used the, the wedding ring illustration. Baptism says I belong to another. I belong to Jesus. I'm not ashamed of him. But I don't think many of us think about the reproach of Christ. I had a pastor friend of mine, they, they uh, have a street preaching ministry. And he said, he said, the Lord led me to do that years ago. He said, we do it every Saturday. And he, he talked about a particular time. They're, they're in the south. It's warmer. Amen. And, uh, and I asked him about it. I said, tell me about it. Tell me about it. He said, well, he said, one of the reasons we do it is he said, of course, people need to be saved. People, you know, all the, all the reasons why we do a ministry. But he said, one of the reasons we do it is to bear the reproach of Christ. He said, there are always people who mock us. Always. There are always people who, and he, and he began to feel, now think about it. Here, here's Moses' choice. You can have all the riches of Egypt, all of it, because you're next in line to be Pharaoh. Or you can have the reproach of Christ. Now, let's be honest, folks. Most of us never have to make that choice. But if we did, many would choose the riches of Egypt. Come on now. Don't be so super spiritual. Say, well, you know, I, I would choose the reproach of Christ. Until it got serious. Yeah. I, I, listen, I remember COVID. Crowd got a little thinner. Yeah. Some legitimate things? Absolutely. Some fear-mongering amongst God's people? Absolutely. Where people said, I will not gather. Well, you know what gathering is? It says, I believe Christ. I believe what he said. He said, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. If we're not careful, we find ourselves over here in Egypt. Huh? The reproach of Christ. He said, you know what, I'll take that. I'll take that. By the way, that's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. You know what that is? Reproach. It's, it's to look down on. 
Again, there's not too much of that in Christianity. I shouldn't say that. There's not too much of that in casual Christianity. But if you're going to live for God, we talked about it on Wednesday night, you will suffer persecution. There will be somebody who doesn't like you. There will be somebody that can't stand you. Because you're saying, you know what, I'm going to live for God. It doesn't mean you're a jerk. It just means, hey, I'm going to live for Christ. That's what Moses, he chose the reproach of Christ over all the riches of Egypt. Thirdly, verse 27. It says, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So what did he do here? He chose forsaking the world over fearing the king. See, in each of these, there's always a choice. You can fear the king and not forsake the world, or you can forsake the world and not fear the king. But you have to choose. See, so many times in our life, there's choices. There's just choices. And you know what he said? He, he said here, he said, I am going to, for Egypt is a type of the world in the Bible, and he said, I'm going to forsake the world, I'm going to forsake Egypt, and I don't care what the Pharaoh does to me. Or that we would have that mindset. You know, we, there, there's a form of Christianity that's come about really in the last 25 years that says you can have Christ and still be worldly, even in worship. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a lie out of the pit of hell. Jesus calls his disciples to forsake the world. We're st we still live in the world. We're still trying to reach the world. Amen. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy nature and vacations and all that stuff. But it means this, that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. He chose to forsake the world over fear of the rule. Number four, think about this in verse 28. It says, Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Again, in the story of Moses, you remember God calls Moses back to Egypt and he said, I'm going to deliver my people by ten plagues. And remember, we went through all the, the plagues, the, the, the Nile turned to blood, and the flies, and the lice, and the frogs, and the boils, and all those things. Remember what the last one was? God said, I'm going to destroy all the firstborn in Egypt. And then Pharaoh will let you go. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy all the firstborn. Not just the Egyptians. My people too. Except, here's what you do. You take a lamb. And you set it apart. And you make sure it's perfect. You make sure it's spotless. And you take that, that lamb and you lift its head. And you look into its eyes. And you take that knife and you shed its blood into the bowl. And you take the, the hyssop and you take that blood. And you sprinkle it upon the doorpost and upon the lintel. And when I see the blood, I'll pass by that house. You know what Moses had to do? He had to choose. There were some people back then that thought, that's ridiculous. There were some people back then that thought, listen, God is our God. He's a loving God. He would never 
never do that to us. You know what Moses had to choose? I'll tell you what he had to choose. He had to choose to embrace God's word rather than experience God's wrath. And I want to tell you something here today. If you are here without Jesus Christ, the Bible tells you in His Word that you are a sinner and your sin will send you to hell. You can either accept that and embrace that, embrace the fact that God loves you, embrace the fact that He sent His Son, embrace the fact that there is a Redeemer who's willing to pay for your sins, or experience His wrath, one or the other. It's a choice. I remember when I got saved... I was sharing with two young men last Saturday. I was able to, to, lead, and, to lead to the Lord. And I, remember, I was telling them, I remember, so I remember 29 years ago in February, I remember knowing that I was a sinner and having to make a choice. And I remember thinking as the preacher was preaching and he was talking about how Jesus died for me and God loved me, he was willing to take my sin and give me a home in heaven and I remember thinking, that sounds like a good deal to me. And I made a choice that day. I said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, please forgive me. Moses made a choice here to embrace God's word rather than experience God's wrath. You know, if you don't embrace God's word, you will experience God's wrath. And then lastly, I'm going to give you some applications today. In verse 29, it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. What did Moses choose to do here? He chose to follow God's command over fighting God's enemies. Remember the story. Here they are traveling. After the firstborn is dead, after this period of grief, Pharaoh gets angry. He said, I'm going I'm to kill those Hebrews. And he gets his, the finest of his army and they begin to chase after God's people that are journeying. And they, they come and, and they, they, they get to the Red Sea. And of course they don't know what they're going to do. Now the, the, the armies of the Egyptians are behind them ready to kill them. The Red Sea's in front of them. And they begin to try Moses. And, uh, and Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do you remember? All of you have seen Charlton Heston raise his hands. Amen. <laughs> remember what happened? They walked across on dry ground. You know what Moses said? It would be better. It would be better to follow God's command than to fight God's enemies. By the way, that's the order. Sometimes God calls us to fight enemies. But this is one of those cases where he said, follow my command and I'll fight my enemies. And sure enough, what happened? Yep. Well, Jeff, they walked across on dry ground. The Egyptians said, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Oops. And God said, I got this one. Yep. And the water came back, and they were drowned. What is that? All of these, ladies and gentlemen, all of these in this text are choices, choices, choices. 
So let me give you some applications here. When it comes to choices, first of all, you must prioritize God in your thinking. God must be first. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Colossians 1.18 But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. Every choice that was made in this text was made by faith. Listen to me, Christian. It, God should never be next. Amen? He should be first. First. Should be first in everything we do. First, listen, first in every choice we make. One of the best things you can do is discipline yourself in your giving to say, I don't even factor that in. It's just to say, listen, that's, that's, God, that's God, so I don't even mess with that. It's already, already all set. By the way, you ought to do that with your church attendance too. Hey, if, if, it's God, if it's church time, that's God's time. It's not my time. It's not time for me to cut my lawn. It's not time for me to shovel my driveway. That's God's time must prioritize God in your thinking. You need to remember this. Secondly, attitude produces actions. Always. Your attitude toward God, toward His Word, will produce your choices, whether they are good or bad. I think about that in this text. It says there in verse 20, 26, 27, it says, For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The end of verse 27 says, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He had the right attitude about God, didn't he? And it produced his actions. Thirdly, root your choices in the principles of God's word. You know what that means? You're going to need to get in this book. You're going to need to find out what it says. Um, something... I've been doing with my boys, and I've mentioned it many, many times, is writing a daily devotional out of Proverbs. You know, Proverbs, it would do you well. If you don't know where to read your Bible, whatever day of the month it is, read the Proverb that day. Today's the 7th. Read Proverbs 7. I mean, there's some tremendous truths in Proverbs. So much wisdom in there. And then it talks about discretion, which is the right use of wisdom. You're not... You're going to have to prioritize God in your thinking. Attitude produces actions. Root your choices in the principles of God's Word. You know what Joshua said? He said, he said, you can do what you want. He said, you want to serve the gods that are on the other side of the flood, you go ahead. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The only way to do that is to know what God says. Root your to get in this book. You've heard me say that all year long. You've heard me say it for the last 14. Get in this book. Get your nose in this book. Read the principles of this book. Have a, have a pen, a pencil, a journal, a highlighter. Amen. We'll talk about that tonight in, in, as we look at the Bereans. But uh, read your choices in the principle of God's Word. Hey, here's an old, old Bob Jones Sr. saying, Do right. Do right. The kids, kids sing, Pastor Power, do right, though the stars fall. Do right. You know what right is? It's a choice. You know what wrong is? A choice. Do right. How about this? I've mentioned this, so I don't, I don't have to linger long, but realize that your choices will largely determine the course of your life. Hmm? Fellas, let's, let's think of a simple one we made years ago. Wonderful choice to marry our spouse. Okay? 
Bryce, you get extra points on that one. Amen, Mr. Jordan. <laughs> no, it was a choice, wasn't it? It was, a, it was a choice, obviously, to go through the process of courtship, to, to ask this precious one to be our, But think about your life. The course of your life is entwined with that choice. Take that into your spiritual. You know, again, I'm looking right there behind you, Michael, and Mr. Kelly should be sitting right behind you. Because his choice was, I'm going to be faithful to God. And we need more people to make that choice and just say, you know what? The, the course of my life is going to be determined by the choices that I make. I am going to choose to be faithful to God and honor God and know that He honors that choice. He will bless it. So remember, the course of your life will largely be determined by the choices that you make. Do not base your choice on immediate results. Very important, young people. Do not base your choice on immediate results. Sometimes the harvest of the choice, be it good or bad, comes much, 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 much later. Here's an encouraging one for those of you. You need to remember this. God does forgive poor choices. Read Psalm 51. But Psalm 51. That's when Nathan, the prophet, came to David after he had gone in, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and had her husband murdered. And old Nathan came to him and said, you, you did it, you did it, you know it, God knows it, and he repented. And he knew he had made a terrible choice. And you know what it says there? It says that he was forgiven. You ought to, you, you ought to be glad for that. Many of us could look back at a choice we made and say, oh, By the way, it haunts us, doesn't it? But it says that in Psalm 51, verse 3. My sin is ever before me. That choice at that time where I knew what God said and I did exactly the opposite. God forgives poor choices. Many times. Two more. I'm done. Many times the most important choices you will make in your life seem to be the most insignificant. That's why you have to do right. That's why God has to be in His proper place when you make choices. Because sometimes the most... You, and again, this is part of thinking. This is part of becoming introspective and looking back at choices that you make. Sometimes the most important choices seem to be the most insignificant. I think of my own pastor. My own pastor who's been in ministry now for since 1986. was getting ready to join the Marine Corps. Nothing wrong with that, right, Mr. Merrill? Okay. You're just the resident jarhead in the house, Mr. Merrill. Amen. It's more the head than the jarhead. Amen. He was getting ready to sign on the dotted line. And the recruiter who is very vested on people signing on the dotted line the recruiter said to him, what do you think your mother would want you to do? And he stopped and he said, my mother would want me to be a preacher. And the recruiter said, 
You better go do that. And he put the pen down and has been in ministry for almost the last 40 years. Pretty insignificant little choice. Pretty important. Big choice. Lastly, let me just review the applications here. You must prioritize God in your thinking. Attitude produces actions. Read your choices in the principles of God's word. Do right. Realize that your choices will largely determine the course of your life. Do not base your choice in the immediate results. Remember, God does forgive poor choices. Many times the most important choices seem to be the most insignificant. Lastly, Difficult choices must be made before the situation presents itself. Who's that, Pastor? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself when the king's meet. So then, Brother McKinley, when they brought him the king's meet, he had already made up his mind that he wasn't going to take it. Listen to me, young person, old person person that's out in the workforce, you making the right choice. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful to my spouse. I'm going to be faithful. Just that making that choice will matter when a compromising situation presents itself. You say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I already made a choice. I, I made a vow to my wife a long time ago. I can't can't do anything like that. Huh? The course of our life. What is it? It's choices. It's choices. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for, Lord, we think about as we were talking, just mentioning the parts of our life that you and you alone took care of, worked out, but also, Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give, the wisdom that you give to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, help us to make choices that would please you in this coming year. This coming day, this coming week. Lord, please help us to make choices rooted in faith. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, the instruments are playing. <clears throat> Page 277. How about you today, friend? Have you ever chosen to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I didn't ask if you went to church. I didn't ask if you're a good person. I asked, have you chosen to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Because if you haven't, God is warning you. There's a payment to be made, and it will be made. You can either make it yourself, or you can accept the payment that Jesus made on your behalf. And I've likened this through the years to many of us can understand having a mortgage payment. And you have a mortgage payment and you have to make that payment. 
that somebody came and said, I'm willing to make that payment for you. All you have to do is ask. And you ask that person, and they make the payment for you. Jesus Christ has a bigger payment to make than a mortgage payment. And it's simply this. He is willing to forgive you of all your sins and give you a home in heaven. If you simply realize that you're a sinner, all of sin comes short of the glory of God, cannot save yourself, there's a payment to be made, the wages of sin is death, but Jesus made that payment. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died to make your payment. He rose to give you a home in heaven. And he says, all you have to do is ask. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I did that 29 years ago. Have I been perfect? Far, far, far from it. Have I been his child ever since the day I called upon him in faith? And then since that day, in faith, making choices. Making choices. Hey, maybe you're a believer today and God has put his finger on an area of your life. Maybe it's the association with God versus the amusement of the world. Maybe it's bearing the reproach of Christ. Maybe it's embracing God's word. Following God's command instead of fighting God's enemies. Prioritize God in your thinking. Root your choices in the principles of God's word. Realize your choices will determine the course of your life. <clears throat> hey, about this, remember, God forgives. Maybe some of you need to come and say, God, please forgive me of a choice that I made. Difficult choices, you need to make them times before the situation arises. Father, bless the invitation now. May not one grieve, quench, or resist what you're trying to do in their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me, page 277. The altar's open if you'd like to come. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we would love to have somebody take an open Bible, a lady with a lady, a man with a man, and show you how easy it is to be saved. Christian, this year is going to be about the choices you make. Why don't you come say, God, help me to make choices that you would have me to. Sing it with me. Page 277, now on the first. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He shed on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey, not a shadow can rise, not a cloud is the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt 
choices, think about results, think about harvest, amen, one day as we stand before God. And it doesn't mean you'll never make a wrong choice. I wish it, I wish it did, amen. But I tell you, if we consider a little bit more, we'll make a lot less wrong ones. Amen. And uh, so praise the Lord. Look forward to seeing everybody tonight. To our deacons, let's remember we have a deacons meeting 3 o'clock today. And uh, then, of course, tonight we do have men's and ladies' prayer at 540. Men are in my office. The ladies in the uh, starter room, which is right next to my office. And uh, then... 6 o'clock tonight, we'll be looking at uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. If you want to do a little reading this afternoon, we'll be looking at the noble Bereans. They were more noble uh, than those in Thessalonica, and there's a reason why they were. And so I hope you'll be in your place tonight. Let's go ahead and dismiss in a word of prayer. Brother Ken Lawley, right we are to our guests. Thank you for being with us. Make sure you drop that guest card there in the do-it-right bucket in the hallway, and let's make sure we do it right in our offering.